All right, turn, if you will, back to Luke 24. I just want to read a couple of verses here, beginning at verse 46. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. When the Lord determined to send his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to complete his plan of redemption, he ordained the circumstances by which he would die and be raised up from the dead. Within that plan was the necessity of securing many witnesses to the facts so that the gospel would be proclaimed and established. Earlier this morning, we pointed out some of those witnesses of both Christ's death and resurrection. But in the weeks following, well over 500 people witnessed the Lord Jesus Christ, saw that he truly was raised from the dead. Uh, It was real. It was genuine. And uh, the witness of the gospel is then indelibly inscribed in the scripture for us to read and to study today because some of those witnesses were called to write this information down. Witnesses are necessary to establish fact, to verify events, to substantiate legal documents, to provide testimony in courts of law. And Jesus conveys in these verses that his disciples are witnesses to what was prophesied about him in the Old Testament, to his earthly ministry, to his suffering on the cross, and his victory over the grave. And as a result, they are to preach repentance and forgiveness of sin based upon the completed work of Christ at Calvary. They were the eyewitnesses that would convey this truth to the ancient world, and all four Gospels and the first chapter of the book of Acts record the Lord Jesus' final words to that end. But we must not assume that the apostles were uh, the only witnesses to the resurrection. Uh, There were a generation of believers that Jesus intended to witness of him every, uh, every 40 years or so. The times change, the witnesses change, and uh, these men's testimony was to be be believed, to be proclaimed by every successive generation of the church. That's clear in the writings of the Apostle Paul and other New Testament authors. So today, we also are witnesses of Christ who have been redeemed by his sacrifice on the cross. And even though we weren't living at the time of the Lord Jesus when these events took place, we have the record before us We have the eyewitness accounts, and we can believe them and carry them on to our generation. So how are we witnesses then today of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, basically, we are witnesses in three ways. First of all, we're witnesses by our belief, then by our behavior, and finally, by our bearing testimony through evangelism. 
We first bear witness to the truth by believing the record that's been handed down to us. Then, if that uh, faith is genuine, if that belief is genuine, it will affect our behavior. It will change the way that we live. And then finally, we testify verbally by sharing the gospel through evangelism, showing other people what it is they must believe in order to be saved. So all of these are true of Christians in every generation. And this is how we bear witness of Christ's resurrection today. So let's ask God's blessing as we not only remember the truth of his being raised from the dead, but our responsibility to witness to it. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful again uh, for the truth that Jesus came, he died, he was raised from the dead. Many, many people in the world discount this. They don't believe that it's true. But Lord, we have uh, undeniable evidence in your word, and we have the choice whether we're going to believe it, accept it, or not. We're thankful, Lord, today that the majority of us who are gathering have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe his resurrection, but Lord, help us to be witnesses of it in all these different ways. Bless us as we look through the scriptures and see these points we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now we're going to be looking at a number of scriptures today, so keep yourself ready for that. If you'll follow the outline in your bulletin, that will help you to uh, stay with us. First of all, this morning, I want you to understand from the Word of God that we become witnesses of Christ's resurrection by believing its reality. Belief in what has been revealed about Christ's resurrection is obviously foundational to being a witness of it. And being a faithful witness centers on believing what is true and what is factual. Because all people are born sinful, we are prone to believe in that which is false, that which is a lie, that which is not true or not factual. You can believe something is true with your whole heart, but that doesn't necessarily make it true. For instance, in our woke world, you can think you are a woman in a man's body or a man in a woman's body, but that does not change biological fact. You can think that your religion is the true and right one, but your faith in it doesn't make it so. You can believe that you're not as bad as other people, uh, that you're more likely to get into heaven because of that. But of course, that's not based on the truth of scripture. Truth is not necessarily what we believe it to be. It must be supported by evidence, by what is real, by what is factual, by what is true. You can also believe what is genuinely true, yet it have uh, no impact upon your life. For instance, today, millions of people will go to a church service affiliated with Christianity. It may be the only other day besides Christmas they go to church because it's Easter Sunday. They believe Jesus was a real person, that he was born, that he died, that he rose from the dead. But how many of them have understood they need to receive him as their own personal savior from sin, death, and hell? So belief is very important, because, and it needs to be based on what is true and what is factual. And Christ's resurrection is a factual event. As we review some of the revelations about it in the Word of God, the Lord Jesus predicted it after the disciples confessed 
that he was the Son of God. Jesus said in Matthew 16, or it's told us in Matthew 16, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. So he prophesied that. He proclaimed that. He also proclaimed that he was the resurrection and the life capable of raising people from the dead, both physically and spiritually. He revealed this to Martha at the graveside of Lazarus, who had been in the grave for four days, and uh, he, he said that he was the resurrection and the life. There are three incidents in our Bible of Jesus raising people up who had died. So he has that power. Then all four Gospels record for us the events surrounding his death and his resurrection, and Acts chapter 1, his final words to the disciples, and his ascension back into heaven are recorded for us. We can go to uh, 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter of the Bible, and there Paul names a number of witnesses of Christ's resurrection, and that at one time over 500 people saw him. And then the death and resurrection of Jesus became the focal point of the preaching in the book of Acts as the gospel spread throughout the ancient world. Uh, I read an interesting comment on this this past week. These apostles of Christ have not given us myths and legends, but solid, historically reliable accounts of our Lord. Our wisdom is to believe them and build our lives upon them. You need to believe in that which is revealed truth from the word of God, who is truth. So Christ's resurrection then is foundational to salvation and requires our belief in it. As we mentioned, Jesus only began to teach this truth after the disciples confessed that they believed Jesus was the Son of the living God. Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and all the apostles agreed with that. Again, going to the graveside of Lazarus, Jesus specifically confronted Martha with the issue of belief. He said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. So Jesus was obviously speaking about spiritual and eternal life after one dies physically. And then he asked Martha, do you believe this? To which she responded, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's come into the world. Now, of course, that was prior to his resurrection, but that's necessary in the belief of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in John chapter 6, I want to read a few verses to you, because Jesus promises that he will raise certain people from the dead, and this, again, is dependent on what they believe. So in John chapter 6 and verse 35, he's talking about uh, resurrection. This is in the discourse about him being the bread of life. And he says to them in verse 35, I am the bread of life. 
He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by, uh, by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him has everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The promise is only to those who believe. The Apostle Paul alluded many times to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This was one of the focal points of his preaching. And in Romans chapter 10, he also connects this with uh, belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and what you do to be saved. So in Romans 10, verse 9, let me read to you. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. There again, you've got to believe in order to be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So belief is necessary to become saved and be a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the Apostle Peter uh, makes the same connection in the first chapter of his first epistle, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith, through belief, for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So faith in Christ's death as the atonement for our sins and his resurrection from the dead is the first step in becoming a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ and a saving power. If you don't believe the the event actually happened, or if you don't make it personal by putting your faith in it, then it's impossible to be a real witness of who Christ is and what he did. So in the words of uh, the Lord Jesus this morning, do you believe this? Have you believed in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead? Now, what happens after that profession is made? What happens when you do believe the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, then we become witnesses of Christ's resurrection by our changed behavior. True belief results in changed behavior. Belief is related to the truth of the resurrection. Behavior is related to the power of the resurrection operating in our lives. Genuine belief is evidenced by changed behavior. And this truth 
in relation to the resurrection of, of, of the Lord Jesus is chiefly developed in the writings of the Apostle Paul. So let's take a look at a few of them. Turn, if you will, first of all, to Romans chapter 6. Now, we don't have time this morning to go into deep detail about all these, but when we come to them, you'll be familiar with them if you do much Bible reading on your own. So in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, Paul's talking about not continuing in sin because grace has abounded. No, because grace has abounded, we can quit sinning. And what he does is he relates this to our baptism in verse 4. He says, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. All right? So he illustrates this, and he associates this change in behavior with something he calls newness of life. And our baptism is a picture of what's gone on in our soul, in our heart. And we're identifying with Christ's death and his resurrection. Now, what it does when we are baptized, it represents the washing away of our sin through Christ's death, but also our death to sin's dominion over our life. When we go down into that water, we identify with Christ's death and burial, and when we come back up out of that water, we are uh, identifying with the new life we have, the spiritual life we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on to explain in the next several verses here that our old man or our old self or the way we were before we died was crucified with Christ. In other words, we look at that old way of life as being dead, as being buried with Christ. It no longer controls our life. We've been freed from that sinful lifestyle, and now we're able to live for God, as verse 11 says. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that doesn't mean we're never going to sin again. But what it does mean is that sinful lifestyle no longer dominates us. And through this new life in Christ, we're able to control the sinful impulses rather than them controlling us. We can say no to sin through the power of the resurrection. Now, this new life operates through that same power that raised up Jesus from the dead. And Paul cited that in his prayer to the church uh, at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1. So let's go there and just read through those verses as well. And uh, this is a great prayer for us to study, to look at, to apply to our own life, and to pray for one another. So Paul is praying for them, beginning in verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, 
that you may know certain things. And that means to know them by experiencing them personally. That you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who, what? Believe. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ, when he did what? He raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. So what God wants us to do, because we've been saved, he wants us to understand and to uh, uh, grow in our understanding of the mighty power that raised Christ up from the dead. And look at the words he uses to describe that. The working of his mighty power, which he worked. All of those are words of, of strength, of might, of power. <clears throat> of course, it's talking about the energizing power of the Holy Spirit who resides in us once we become a child of God. So the spiritual power that raised Jesus from the dead is residing in us as well to help us on that process of changing our behavior and becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, go over one more book to Philippians chapter 3. Because Paul conveys to us his own desire to understand in a deeper way and to experience uh, more, more this power of the resurrection. And we see that in verses 10 and 11 of Philippians chapter 3. Now Paul is is talking about uh, the fact that his righteousness is not his own. It is from the Lord. Uh, It's not based on the law. It's based on the grace of God. And then he says in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. There it is again. And the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain or arrive at the goal of the resurrection from the dead. So what he's prayed for the church at Ephesus is his own desire to uh, experience the same kind of power overcoming sin that raised up the Lord Jesus Christ from the grave. Now, this new affection that he has uh, is put into a, a clearer picture of what it does in Colossians chapter 3. So let's look at this last con, uh, connection here between uh, the raising up of the believer from the dead in the power of the Holy Spirit with what Paul says in uh, uh, Colossians chapter 3. Verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, and you were, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, folks, I've got to say, we set our minds on things of the earth a lot, don't we? As a matter of fact, that's probably the controlling factor. We'll sit down, we'll talk hours about politics, and uh, nothing about spiritual truth. 
Our minds uh, of the the mind of the old man is set on the world. That's where our affections are. But we learn to begin to set our affections more and more on things above than the things on the earth. Why? For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So again, he's saying the changed behavior is going to make a change in our thinking, and we're going to think more and more about the spiritual things of life and the heavenly things of life and putting away things of this earth uh, that are sinful and carnal. And then he kind of lists some things. So let's just read down through there. Look at verse 5. Therefore, okay, you've died with Christ, right? So put to death certain things that don't belong in the life of Christ. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication. Our nation is full of fornication, sexual impurity. And it's looked upon as not even being sinful. It's just normal behavior, so go with it. Uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness. It's so easy in our country to be that way. Which is equivalent to what? Idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God's coming on the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. So here's the change of behavior. You once were that way, but you're not that way anymore. Then you come to verse 8. There's some other things to put away from you, like anger. Wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Put it away from you. This is your changed behavior. Do not lie to one another since you put off the old man with his deeds. And to put on the new man, the newness of life, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And uh, there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. Then he tells us what we're supposed to put on. When you see a list of things you're supposed to put away, uh, and you do that, that's not just supposed to leave, leave a void in your life. There's something you put on to replace it. And so that's what he talks about in verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. So that's a pretty long list, isn't it? Put off these things, put on these things. Can I do it? Yes, in the power of the resurrection. Not in my own power, not in my own grit. So what you choose to believe affects your behavior for good or for evil, for right or for wrong. Only through believing Christ's work of, uh, of uh, conquering death through resurrection and receiving him as our Savior can we develop behavior pleasing to God. And if our behavior does not demonstrate our belief, we cannot be effective witnesses of Christ's resurrection. Instead, people are going to look at us and they're going to say, well, there goes a hypocrite. They say they're a Christian, but he doesn't live any different than I do. So we're, we're really denying the, the belief we say that we have. So belief produces behavior. Now, the final way that we're witnesses of Christ's resurrection is by bearing testimony through evangelism. In other words, we share this faith that God has given us in Christ. 
And we convey to other people the truth concerning Christ's death and resurrection and how it can change their lives and give them joy. So let's take a look here then to this truth that we're witnesses of Christ's resurrection through evangelism. And this responsibility is implied in Christ's final words and is exemplified in the preaching of the apostles. So, quickly, since you already are aware of these, we won't spend a lot of time on it, but what are the last words of the Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples? We'll give you a couple of examples. First of all, in Matthew 28, we're all familiar with the Great Commission, right? So this is a, a, a mission left not just to the disciples originally, that was the case, the church would have died out in the first century. But no, each successive generation must take the commission to the world. And Jesus spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So he says, go, teach these things. I'll be with you. I'll be with you until I come again, the end of the age. This is our responsibility. Not just uh, believing alone and behaving alone. We also need to be spreading the gospel. And then uh, that passage in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, the Lord Jesus, just before he ascends back into heaven, <clears throat> Same thing. This is the last word that he speaks uh, recorded uh, by Luke in the, in the book of Acts. Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. They didn't have it yet, but it was going to come in a few days. So he says, you're going to receive power. This power is associated really with the resurrection of Christ. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and this is what you're going to do. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Well, in our day, it's to the end of the earth, isn't it? Back in that day, it started in Jerusalem, went out to Judea, then out to Samaria, then out to the world. <clears throat> in our day, well, it's just out there into the world. And as I've mentioned, the task of witnessing for Christ is to every generation of the church. And you know what? You can do this where a pastor, one man, cannot do it. You can do it at work. You can do it at school. You can do it in your neighborhood, with your family. There are places that you can go, nobody else can go. And we need to think along those lines. Then we find that this truth is exemplified in the preaching of the apostles, the first ones who took it out there to the world. Now, in Acts chapter 1, they recognize their responsibility to be witnesses of the resurrection. And that, that kind of came out in the first book, uh, uh, chapter of Acts here, when they realized they were one man short. There's only 11 now. So they need to pick another one. And this one has to have certain qualifications. And we're, we're told here in verse uh, 21... Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, 
to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become what? A witness with us of his resurrection. So when they selected this 12th person to take the uh, place of Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Christ, he had to be a witness of the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, in Acts chapter 2, we have the first sermon preached. That sermon, we're not going to read it all, begins in verse 29, and it goes down to uh, uh, verse 39. And Peter is quoting from King David that the Messiah would not see corruption that connects him to the uh, crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. He states in verse 32 that the apostles are witnesses of these things. This Jesus God has raised up of which we are witnesses. And then he calls upon the people uh, who cry out, say, what must we do? He says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus. So they need to come to Christ, believing all these things that we talked about this morning for forgiveness of sin. You go to chapter 3 and chapter 4. A, a lame man is healed. Uh, that lame man uh, uh, comes to Christ. And the apostles say it's not through their power, it's through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 3 and verse 16, uh, they say, um, his, in his name, Christ's name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, yet, yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. It's through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ this takes place. And the previous verse says, we've been witnesses of these things. And then in Acts chapter 4, verse 33, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now I want to close with one other passage, and that's Acts chapter 8. And I want you to see the example here that does not include the apostles. Now, after stoning Stephen in Jerusalem, a great persecution followed, and that persecution probably came because the people weren't going out of Jerusalem, like Jesus said, going to Judea and Samaria. They weren't going, so he sent a little persecution to get them out of the city. And it says in verse 1 here, At that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria where Christ said you need to go. But note the one exception. Except the apostles. The apostles weren't scattered yet. They were staying in Jerusalem to teach and preach from that vantage point. It's the people, the other Christians who were scattered and left Jerusalem. And when they scattered, what do they do? Verse 4, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And then it tells the story of Philip in Samaria. So we could say, everyone went everywhere evangelizing, but not the apostles. So that means that if we were there, it would be you and I. Everyone went everywhere preaching the gospel. The word preaching there, uh, the, the verb to preach is where we get our English word evangelize from. It means 
to gossip the gospel, to teach the gospel, to preach the gospel, to share the gospel. That's what these people did when they went out and discovered that the power of Christ could make them strong witnesses. So we become witnesses the same way today, the same pattern. First, by believing the truth of Christ's death and resurrection that provides our salvation from sin, death, and hell. That's the obvious first step that has to be taken. Otherwise, there's, there's no real sense of witness. And once that happens, from that point, our behavior begins to change as we experience this resurrection power uh, within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. We're putting off the old habits of sin and putting on the spiritual characteristics of the new man in Christ. And this is uh, a witness of Christ's power within us, operating in our souls. And then we witness, we testify, we evangelize the rest of the world. So on that basis, are you a 21st century witness of Christ's resurrection? Do you believe the fact of Christ's resurrection? Do you believe that act validates everything Jesus did to procure your salvation? Have you confessed that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Have you believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead? If so, then you should be experiencing the life-changing power. Are you dying to self so that the new life of Christ may grow and develop in you? Is your behavior a witness of Christ's resurrection operating in your life? Is it obvious? And finally, are you witnessing by sharing the truth of the gospel with others? Yes, our changed life is a testimony, but how many people have come up to you over the years and asked you what you believe and why you live the way you do? I would surmise precious few. Jesus doesn't say, wait for somebody to come to you and then tell them about me. No, he says, go out to a lost world, spread the news that Jesus Christ is not just another dead founder of a world religion, but the son of the living God who's alive forevermore, energizing those who come to him in faith with new life, new purpose, and new direction. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, again, we're thankful today for the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, without his death, our sin could never have been paid for. We would be guilty and have to pay for it ourselves. Yet, if he had not died, then his claims would have been empty and vain. Or if he had not been raised, his uh, claims would be empty. They would be vain. So, Lord, the death would have served no purpose without the consequent resurrection. And we're thankful, Lord, that we have faithful witnesses of that, that we have uh, uh, believed it ourselves. Lord, help us now to live it and carry it to those who are in need. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be effective witnesses of your resurrection today as much as the apostles were in the first century. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. <clears throat>